0: Welcome to
1: the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Hi, my name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Table Podcast, brought to you by Dallas Seminary. On the table, we discuss issues of God and culture. And in this edition, we're going to discuss – I'm going to call it an issue and then qualify that in just a second – but the issue is that of homelessness, an issue which just about everybody, I think, in our country is familiar with. Uh, I, I almost hesitate to call it homelessness because that has a way of sort of objectifying it as a problem when, in fact, we're talking About humans made in the image of God. And I really can't think of anybody who's better qualified to be with us to share his insights today than my friend, Pastor Wayne Walker, who is the founder and the executive director of our calling ministry. Wayne, welcome to the table. Thanks for having me. And you've been on the table before, I think, with Dr. Bach, so welcome back. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming back. I guess I didn't say anything stupid, you know, too bad. (laughs) I don't think so. But uh, I want to I want to press into what I just said. I, I do think that we have a tendency, uh, by calling it homelessness, we're we're automatically and immediately stating things in terms of a problem, which tends to mean that we we think of homeless people as problems. And you're so way beyond thinking that way. That's that's why I'm glad that you're here. So, help us unpack that piece,
1: just maybe as a way to get started. Well, I think in a little bit more politically correct terminology, people would now say that there are people experiencing homelessness, uh, right, not good. just homeless people. So we've right? started to move to humanize. Oh, it. yeah, exactly. And homelessness is a state of disconnection, right? You're disconnected from family. You're disconnected from friends. You're disconnected from medical resources, income, of course, housing, jobs. Those are all temporary things that, uh, if we're not careful, we think are also the solution to solve homelessness. But these are people that are experiencing a a certain level of trauma, maybe experienced a a, a history of a certain level of trauma, Hmm. that find themselves just completely disconnected from the world. What happens is you get disconnected from the things in life that make life stable for you, and then you find yourself in a community where it's vile and exploitive. Hmm. And then you get to a point where you just don't care anymore. Right? You see the guy with the Duck Dynasty beard and the backpack, and you look at him, and you think, man, why don't you go get a shower? Right. And why don't you shave? Right. And why don't you change clothes? And You get to a point where you don't care anymore because you feel that no one really cares about you. you just giving up. you just giving up. Yeah, it's kind of like if, if you and I go camping— The first day, you know, we don't want to touch anything. We're trying to be clean. And by day three or four, we're willing to just wipe our face (laughs) on our sleeve and just keep going. And if you've done that for six months or a year— It becomes the new normal. It's the norm. That's right. And so homelessness, people find themselves living in places they're not designed to live, doing things that we're not supposed to do, and find themselves in places where they're being hurt, and often they're hurting themselves.
2: Wow. So give me a little bit of your history. How did you you get into this— line of work. I mean, where was growing up for you and background? And you graduated from Dallas Seminary in 2007. Give us just a little bit
1: of that story and then how it led into our calling. Sure. Um, I've always been around poverty kind of growing up. Uh, when I was about ten years old, my mom and dad became foster parents. Okay, and so we were not a wealthy family by any means, not even probably barely middle class. And we had foster kids come and move into our home. Over the years, we had sixty-seven different kids. Wow, and kids that had been abused in horrible ways, kids that had been subject to the worst kinds of to- torture and terror. Mm. Um, you know, kids that watched their parents die or watched uh, people try to kill them. Speaking of trauma. Oh, yeah. All kinds of physical trauma, sexual trauma, emotional trauma. Mm. And so I grew up in that family with those kids. I also became an addict at a very young age. Mm. Um, You know, my mom and dad loved the Lord and loved each other. And yet, as a kid, I made some stupid choices. Yeah, And it was in college when the Lord kind of grabbed me by the throat and body slammed me through Campus Crusade, actually. And in that process, I started to recognize that God had created us for something more mm. than just a vocation, and just for, um, you know, just to just to make something or build something. So, so ju- it, just to
2: jump in there. Yeah. Um. So in a sense, I, I guess you were headed down that path of giving up. Like you could have ended up, you know, there.
1: Oh, absolutely. I come from a history, a long history of families of abuse and addiction. Uh, my parents are first generation believers. And so, you know, I've got lots and lots of, you know, dysfunction in every family. Yeah, sure. Uh, but in mine, it just it doesn't escape, so, just like everyone's. So it, it, it truly
2: is a story, as it always is, of God just reaching down and saying, No, you're mine.
1: Yeah, I remember... Plucking you in in the hands of grace. I remember being in the back of a police car one time thinking, you know what? I think God has a bigger plan for me than this. Mm. Um, Wow, praise God. And, you know, I, I think anybody is on the verge of homelessness. It's not just because people are poor. I mean enough people that come from the wealthiest families in the city hmm. uh, it's not just you know poor people staying poor it's and it's not just rich people becoming poor. it's a state of disconnection that really in some cases have has little to do with income. But we see people that are former NFL players or basketball players. I've met former chief of police.
2: Entrepreneurs. Uh,
1: I've met former graduates of Criswell, former graduates of (laughs) Southwest, and former graduates of Dallas Theological Seminary that are homeless. Wow. Right? Former, uh, you know, people that have been uh, PhDs and all kinds of lines of of work that find themselves in that state. Hmm. And anyway, so I've been around those people and served in shelters before and in the Middle East, served with Palestinian refugees and, you know, different places and villages in Africa and places. And then when we came to Dallas, I was a software developer and really helped pay for seminary. Uh, But I really got tired of working on the next version of an app and wanted to work on the next version of a person. Love it. And so we were probably here six months before my wife and I just started hitting the streets and serving meals, right? Just sandwiches. That's usually how it starts. But then you quickly realize people need a lot more than food. Mm. You know, there's food options all over the city. Uh, There's even housing options and recovery options and shelter options. And for some reason, those just aren't working. Every person we see has been in housing before. They've had 40 different jobs. You know, the things that you think are the solution are really the symptoms of the bigger problem. And we recognize that there wasn't much in the space of outreach for the people on the streets. You know, homelessness is a huge community, and it's a huge culture, and most people think of it as the guys in the shelters. Right. Our specific focus are what's called the unsheltered, so those that sleep outside every day. They truly live on the street. Oh, yeah, yeah. Outside every day, the tents in the woods, the people behind the liquor stores under the right. bridge. You know, some of them are panhandlers. Most panhandlers are not homeless that we work with. You know, but people that are outside every day, the people that won't go into shelters, the people that are living in their cars with their kids, those are, that's our primary focus.
2: And what's your approach to working with them?
1: Well, I hope our approach is focusing on, you know, their real needs and not get distracted by their felt needs.
2: So you're talking about their heart needs, their soul needs.
1: Yeah. So you take a the, guy the who's, with who's lost the last 40 jobs. Right. And, you know, standard American logic is let's give him job number 41. You just set him up for failure. Mm. He can't keep a job. He doesn't know what to do with the money. He finds himself hurting himself or hurting others. You take a person who's uh, living outside and you think, hey, we just need to get this guy housing as soon as possible. There are cases where that works, but most of the time the reasons that they lost their housing to begin with, are going to follow them wherever they go. And sometimes those reasons are not economic at all. And so what we're trying to do is really evangelism and discipleship, mm-hmm. right? So we have a team of folks, and of course we work on all those felt needs. So clothes and laundry and shower and food and jobs and job training and IDs and get your warrant and a fixed and mental health care and physical health and all that stuff is important. But if you don't have this foundation of faith – right? if you don't have any hope in your life, if you don't have a reason to get up in the morning and a reason to work hard and a reason to take your meds and a reason to take care of yourself and a reason not to hurt yourself and hurt others, why not? If there's no God, why don't we all go get high every day? Yeah, You know, God has a plan for us that is in a purpose for us that is way beyond just us taking care of our own physical needs. And so it doesn't matter if you're a – you know, if you're making six figures and you're drinking like a fish, or if you're a homeless guy drinking like a fish on the side of the road, you know, we really want to address the heart issues. Our goal every day is how do you become the man or woman God wants you to be? And really focused on evangelism and discipleship in the process of helping people meet all those other needs. Well, again, I want to camp
2: on something you just said, um, because I think many uh, listeners who you know, they have a stable job, a stable income, they have education, you know, they have a lot of resources or advantages, I guess I'd say. And they feel like, and I have those because I worked hard in school and I'm responsible and I get up every morning and I go to work, blah, blah, blah. blah. But they don't have God. And so, in one sense, even though they may have a pretty good income, they still have a poverty of soul going there, which, if the circumstances come about in the right ways, it, it, it seems to me they're right there with that person who can't keep a job because they're disconnected
1: from life, basically. They, they're disconnected from the Lord. You know, if you take uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew, uh, I think it's 22, where he takes the whole Old Testament, Old prophet, the, the summary of the law and the mm-hmm. prophets, and summarizes it, gives us the Cliff Notes version, right? right? Here's the main thing. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord. With everything you got, right, head to toe, knees and shoulders, right. Uh, Love your with your your soul, your mind, your spirit, your strength, right. Everything you got, right. And that's the goal of every person on the planet: is can we love the Lord with Mm -hmm. everything we've got? Mm. Unfortunately, in this world, we find ourselves distracted and loving other things.
2: Very distracted. So
1: it doesn't matter if your love of other things is smoking weed every day. Right? right or trying to hit the re- the next stock right right or the car you're working on in deal. your garage right. it doesn't matter yeah. what it is it's do you love the lord i have no doubt that the lord loves you i have no doubt that the lord loves you so much he sent his son i have real doubt that we understand how much he loves us and that we actually reciprocate that love Mm -hmm. to him. And so that's our focus. And some people focus on evangelism and discipleship with kids in school or, you know, with people in nursing homes or people in a church. Our focus is evangelism and discipleship with those people that sleep outside. Now, let let me take that second part of that, the discipleship part,
2: because I've met a ton of people who say, oh, we're going to go out on the street and witness to the homeless and they give them tracts or they give them. You know, whatever version of the, the gospel they, they, they share, which is wonderful. You know, Jesus is the answer, buddy. And then, oh, there's a shelter over here. They'll get you some food, but, you know. Be warm, be filled. It's kind of right. And you've introduced the term discipleship into the equation. And I must say, um, until I think I first met you about four or five years ago when you spoke at a faculty workshop and presented your ministry. And I'm pretty sure you're the first person I've ever met who used the term discipleship in connection with the homeless. And and it it at first it seemed shocking to me, because uh, I thought, well man, to be discipled, you, you, you need to you need to be part of a church. You gotta be a part of a community. You that's a process over time. These people are real transient. How how do you do unpack that for us.
1: You know, it's funny that you say this. Um, I years ago was talking to your father mm-hmm. when I told him I was going to leave seminary, and I had a full time job at the seminary, and could have stayed here. Very comfortable. I wasn't good at it, but I, I had it, <laughs> and. I told them I wanted to leave and do go full-time and work with the homeless community. In fact, I actually went around to all the different nonprofits in the city that work with the homeless and said, here's what we want to do. We want to work with the people outside your shelter. We mm-hmm. want to work with the people down the street that won't come in. And most of them were completely anti that. You know, if they're not willing to come in the doors, right, and, you know, right. it's kind of like church, right? If you're not willing to walk down the aisle and come in the pews and sit down, we don't, really down, we just do don't have you. much for you, right. right? And so when I told... Uh, Your dad, Prof, I said, you know, Prof, I want to go and I need to do this full time because they need more than a sandwich. Mm. They need more than a hand on a shoulder and a prayer once a week. Right. Right. So we were that church that served thousands of meals on the streets. I mean, we could cook food in the best commercial kitchen at the church. We started with sandwiches and then got to really kind of gourmet food. And we go down there, and we still see this today, right? You drive down the street, you see this. A church shows up, and they pass out boxes full of full shoes, and they give out tons of Bibles, and they serve tons of food. They lay hands and pray for people and preach, and they leave, right? Then that's wonderful. If that's what you can do, that's wonderful. But we also have to recognize that we would never consider that ministry to anybody else. Right, right. Like, you think about our kids, right? We don't want someone just to fatten our kids up and play Xbox with them and talk about Jesus and leave. We want them to intimately teach our kids – to follow Jesus. Mm. We want them to help them grow in their relationship with the Lord. We wouldn't do this with men or women in the church, right? Right? We're gonna go just give them a barbecue sandwich and talk about the Lord and walk away. We want them to intimately be growing and learning about a relationship with Jesus and learn how to follow him and how to pursue him. And so when we go down and we, Mm. we've actually changed the gospel into be very transactional when we do that with the homeless community. In fact, most groups don't say this, but here's the way it comes across. If you'll say these magic words, Or listen to me preach. You can have this free stuff, right? Right. right. I'll give you a free meal if you say this magic prayer. And even though that isn't the words that are expressed, that is what's received and implied, right? So you have every homeless guy in Dallas has trusted Christ seven times a week (laughs) for the last eight years, but has no idea who Jesus is because no one's willing to take the time and sit with him and show him how to follow him. Hmm. I talked to a guy a few months ago. He came to me and he said, Wayne, I'm not seeing any fruit in what we're doing. Uh, They call me the sandwich man. I make hundreds of sandwiches and I pass them out in these five different locations and it takes like eight hours a day to make the sandwiches and go pass them out. He's doing it seven days a week. Awesome. Great. You are the sandwich man. Don't pretend to be the gospel man. Don't pretend to be the discipleship guy. You have fruit, but your fruit is sandwiches. If that's what you want to produce, you're doing it really well. Maybe better than Subway and Jimmy John's, right? Right, right. But if you really want to invest in people,
2: that's a different thing.
1: That's a different thing. Hmm. I mean, think about it. You pass all these sandwiches and all this food. How much time do you actually spend with a real person? How much time do you actually sit down and shut your mouth and listen to them? Because, believe it or not, they are the expert. On Mm -hmm. their problem, they're the one with the PhD on homelessness. Hmm. They're the ones that understand why every thing they've tried in the past hasn't worked. When's the last time you sat down, shut your mouth, and listened to them, and really invested in them in a long term discipleship relationship? Because if that's what you want, maybe you got to stop making sandwiches.
2: Well, what you're describing there uh, dovetails with a view that I have that the best way to understand people is is through their story. If you don't know their story, you don't really have a means of knowing their who they are because that's how it's been that's how their personhood gets revealed. And each of these folks has a story, and that story includes how they ended up on the street. And that story gives all kinds of clues as to, particularly how the gospel, as it's then worked out through discipleship, becomes applied into their life. Uh, and one of the things I love about your work is you've got a menu. Uh, it's a it's a cluster of both practical and, if I could put it this way, uh, spiritual services that you're delivering to people. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, again, I want to go back to the illustration of a church that shows up and just passes out food and stuff. I have seen witness firsthand um groups that do this and pass out the shoes and then five minutes later the shoes have created a marketplace. All right. Right? They're bartering. And I have watched people be abused physically and sexually for shoes. Mm. Right? I have seen so many Bibles passed out on the street. We used to do it all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I go into Bridges now and find those Bibles ripped out a page at a time used for toilet paper, Wow! right? Or they're used to roll weed. Right. God said he wants his word in us. That's not what he had in mind, right? Smoking it. No. Uh, Although I have heard that, you know, (laughs) pleasing aroma to the Lord and and anyway. But when we invest in people Hmm. and we push the stuff aside, we want to meet physical needs, right? Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. Right. When I was cold, you gave me something to wear. But he also said man should not live by bread alone. But you watch his ministry was not – he didn't open a Walmart or McDonald's, right? right, right? He is leading people to the Father through truth. Mm -hmm. And the investment in people's lives has to recognize their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. Often we can get confused by the two. Mm -hmm. We have felt needs, real needs. The guy with the sign has something written on the cardboard sign that's usually a very strong felt need, does not communicate the real need. But to recognize that this guy has real needs, and as a church, we can't just say, be warm, be filled, come to church on Sunday morning, hey, figure out how to pay your own rent. Hey, be warm, be filled, we love you, and we want to help you, and we'll preach at you for an hour, but we really want to invest in people that want to grow, right? So we have programs for kids, we have programs for recovery, we have programs for counseling, programs for people that get married. These are people that need a different kind of program and an opportunity for them to grow in their relationship with the Lord, and sometimes for them that program is getting off the streets. That's a vital thing, right? right? It's important. It, everybody needs to be off the streets. No one should have to live where these people live, but we have to recognize that housing is insufficient. Right, It's a necessity, but it's insufficient. It's impotent to really address the big issues in someone's life. Same thing with a job. And so what we try to do is we draw a circle around what we do, which is evangelism and discipleship, and then we invite in partners to kind of fill in the void. And so we have about 20 agencies that serve right. in our facility And then we connect people with about 200 agencies in the county. And some of these are government and some are quasi-faith. So VA and medical and mental health care. So you're partnered with the rest of the community. Yeah, they come to our facility. We take people to them. We're directly connected with them. That's wonderful. And Because we want to make sure that you get that thing looked at by the doctor. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that you get that um, evaluation by the mental health care practitioner because you probably need counseling and maybe some meds as well. That's important. But in the process of that, we want to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord in a contextual way. Right? How can our staff really focus on -on one-on-one, intimate relationship, intimate discipleship with this community? And it is a community with a very different culture, right? Learning how to preach at DTS and going (laughs) through the preaching classes and all the pedagogy of you know Bible study methods and small groups was wonderful. But the context is very different in a homeless community. So when I preach, I preach completely different than if I'm preaching to a North Dallas church. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, When we teach small groups and we do small. Small groups. This morning, our small groups are meeting. You know, we had a twenty-minute life skills class this morning on anger management, and then people break up into small groups and homeless men and women sitting around a table with a facilitator, intimately talking about how they deal with anger Mm. and what that has to do in their lives. Having these opportunities for real spiritual growth, right? Right. Now, let's be honest. We've all stained our hands with four spiritual laws. You know, passing them out on the beach and doing all that stuff. right? Right. We did it for years. And that's good, and street evangelism is important, but we have to take it beyond that, right? If all we're doing is showing up and passing out food, then we're actually creating other problems. Sure. We're creating a, a, a need for a person to stay under that bridge to eat the food. We're creating a trash problem Right. I can't tell you how many tons and tons of trash are produced in the city of Dallas by churches that don't pick up after themselves. Hmm. We pass out resources that actually increase the drug trafficking and the sex trafficking in the streets, Interesting, right? It contributes to the bartering system on the street. We're enabling people. I'll give you an example, Bill. So you and I go under any random bridge today, and we see two homeless guys, and we right. come up with sandwiches. We feed them. We, awesome, right? Touchdown. We do that week after week. Yep, Five yep. weeks from now, we show up and there's six. Right. Two months from now, there's twelve tents and right. eighteen people standing around. You and I now have created a homeless camp, right. right? We've enabled people to stay there, and the longer they stay there, the quicker they die there. Right? So it's a
2: case of toxic charity,
1: exactly. Toxic charity when helping hurts. All those kind of opportunities where we recognize that sometimes our help does more hurt, right? Right. So, for example, we don't serve any food on the streets anymore. If you want food, you can come to our facility. We don't serve you any food you can take away. We want you while you're there to meet with pastors and chaplains and counselors and doctors and all the things that you need and you want, right? So in that case, you you're if I could put it this
2: way, uh, in a sense, using the food to introduce them to a bigger piece, which is hospitality. In other words, just like a table. We're going to gather around a table and have a meal together, but in the process, I'm going to listen to you, treat you as a person, have a relationship that we're going to build here a little bit.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough Podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com.
1: So dignity is one of our values, and I can't tell you how many times a company will call us and say, we had a Christmas party last night, we have half of a (laughs) a bowl of salad left over, it's been sitting in someone's car for two days and we want to give it to you to give the homeless, right? Right. Right. Or someone's got a crock pot in the back of their trunk and they're trying to serve meals. Dignity is important. Mm. At our facility, we use food as a tool. Mm. We also use laundry as a tool. Mm-hmm. Laundry takes three hours. And for three hours, our staff have an opportunity to invest deeply in your life. You're not there because you're, your clothes are dirty. Your boyfriend beat you up and made him bring your dirty laundry to our facility. Gr- great that you're there. Terrible that you got beat up. How do we use that opportunity to invest in you and help you get away from him? Right. right? And when we serve food, we serve steak once a week. Hmm. We serve brisket. We nice. serve ribs. We serve salmon. We want to serve really good food to right. treat our homeless friends with dignity because they're our friends. Our the average age is fifty five years old, on the street. On the street, the wow. people we serve. We so we've written a couple of apps. Uh, one of them we use for intensive case management. So we've you know added tons of. We get almost ten thousand folks in it uh, that we're actively tracking in Dallas, and so we know a lot of data about the homeless community and. You know, the average age of 55 years old, it's only about a third of the homeless population are women, which is really interesting because sociologically in most communities, there's a whole lot more women than men. Yeah. Except in extreme poverty because women don't live that long, and many of them are in in transactional relationships to survive. So a lot of prostitution. Every single day we see sex trafficking, human trafficking, domestic violence, every single day, Hmm. right? So it's a very, very violent community. Yeah. And it's usually not homeless on homeless. It's because we attract the most vulnerable people. They attract the worst kind of predators, mm-hmm. right? It's like whoever's got the best food at the picnic it attracts the worst flies, right, right? Right. And so we have very vulnerable people <laughs> that attract the worst kinds of predators, traffickers, and other places. Um, so we're trying to meet real physical needs, addressing safety needs, housing needs, health needs, all these needs with this foundation of faith focused on integrity and character and accountability and holiness. You know, it doesn't matter if you live in a $10 million house or you live under a $40 million bridge. Right? God's called you both to integrity and holiness and purity and a relationship with him and to worship him. There's different challenges in that big house or under that big bridge, but as men, God's called us both to the same lifestyle and the same relationship with him and with others. And so we're just focusing as a, the body of Christ with this very unique group of people.
2: Wayne, talk to us about um, the reality that many people are on the street uh, because they choose to live on the street. In other words, they, 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 if, if you offered them housing, they wouldn't take it. And I know there's a huge mental illness issue here for many of them.
1: And I know there's different strata, if you will, of sure, homeless. Sure, You know, I've heard this years, year after year, and uh, I used to say it. Now I don't say it anymore because I don't believe it's true. I do not believe that people would choose to live on the street rather than live in your house and sleep in your bed. Okay. I don't believe that at all. Hmm. And I say that because I have personally sat down with over a 1,000 homeless people, right? And I've got records of it. Yeah, we track the right. data, right? So I'm not just making this stuff up. They would prefer to live in a bed. They would prefer to be in a house. Now, they may choose a particular lifestyle that's really difficult to do in a house, a particular lifestyle that means that they would have to quickly leave that bed and go do that thing and then come back. Right. Um, but because of the prevalence of corruption of mankind, right, the Genesis th- Genesis chapter three, right, the fall, because of the reality of poverty in the city. I'll give you an example. So in Dallas, the median income, uh, rent for a one bedroom apartment is $1,200 a month. Hmm. Okay. That's the median. Median. You're going to have to work two full time minimum wage jobs to pay that. Right. Okay. So if you get paid minimum wage, you have to work 80 hours a week to pay rent. Just to pay rent. Just to pay rent. To pay rent. We haven't gotten the food yeah, yeah, and education. Yeah. No water, no electricity, no, right. none of that. Right. Just to pay the rent. And by the way, you cannot rent the apartment unless you make three times the amount of rent as your income, or they won't rent it to you. So we have some extreme poverty issues in this area. Dallas has one of the highest childhood poverty rates. In Dallas, it's interesting. So we track a lot of data. Um, We have the highest homeless population of any city in the South right now. Okay, We've just gone ahead of Houston, ahead of San Antonio. Our homeless population growth rate is faster than 95% of the country. Hmm. Right, And it's not just because You know, the fallacy is that people just choose to be homeless. It's not really true at all. We do have a high level of mental health issues. We do have a high level of addictive issues. But we also have a lot of high high level of mental health issues and addictive issues in every neighborhood in this county as well. That's for sure. Not just homeless people that are, you know, drinking too much, smoking too much or, or, you know, have Have bipolar. Yeah, exactly. So we also have a poverty issue that has to be addressed. You know, many of these men and women will choose to live on the street because of a lifestyle that living in a shelter doesn't afford. Gotcha. But they don't want to live on the street. They want the lifestyle. I, I talked to a dear friend of mine. I've known him for about eight years, and I asked him, I said, why don't you go get in a shelter? And he said, because the food and the sex is better on the streets. Wow. Right. The right. food's better because everybody shows up and gives them food all day long. Right. You know, all these groups, especially out of town that want to come downtown and do their thing and take an Instagram photo and go mm-hmm. back. And I love those people. I used to be one of those people, but there are so much better ways to serve. So much more strategic ways to serve. Honestly, I would beg your churches to never go and do that without partnering with an organization that's there doing long term care with people. Hmm. Right. So we have groups that'll come down and serve meals right in front of a facility that's serving a meal you can serve inside right. in air conditioning with there's bathrooms and toilets and clean paper clean plates and forks and knives or you can serve outside in their parking lot and we have some that'll try to serve in front of our facility at the same time we're serving lunch and it's like why <laughs> why it's not a competition you yeah, know
2: it's duplication of effort. and if you
1: really want to come minister to people we have a kitchen staff we have a commercial kitchen how about you let us cook the food and serve the food? You can do that if you want, but if you really want to minister to people, come sit down. And eat with them. And have a meal, break some bread, and talk about your your problems and share your testimony on how hard it is to be a man of integrity in this world today. You know, share your story and your witness of what the Lord's doing in your life. Hmm. Quit passing out stuff out of a window because that doesn't save anybody or, or cause anybody to get off the streets. In fact, you know, it's funny because I always get asked, hey, Wayne, what about that guy it's always on that same corner. They'll keep giving money to him every week. And I've seen him out there for three years. Or I've seen him out there for 12 years.
2: <laughs> we keep giving money to him. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course.
1: If I stand in this one spot and you give me 20 bucks, I may go to that spot every single day. You know, the definition of insanity doing right. the same thing. Well, the insane one are the ones that keep giving out that cash.
2: Well, there must be something in it because I, I, as I reflected on this program coming up, um, I have seen homeless people you know, out on the street, and it's hard work. I mean, it's hot. There's traffic. It's dirty. It's dangerous. And yet they're there. And, I mean, I know there may be some desperation involved, but for some of these folks, um, you know, they're selling a little thing of water to you, whatever. But it's like, wow, that guy must be – that that's got to be a hard job to have.
1: Well, I think we all kind of choose where we work. Mm-hmm. And most panhandlers make a minimum of 50 bucks an hour. Wow. Some of them are making a whole lot more than that. Wow. I was driving up near um, Preston and uh, the tollway, mm-hmm. the Northwest Highway and the tollway recently, which is a really wealthy area of right. Dallas. You know, it's extremely wealthy. Mark Cuban lives close to right. there. I mean, it's a very... Yeah high area. And I saw someone panhandling. And as I pulled up, I knew her. So I rolled down the window and they always hate this. I'm like, hey, Vicki, what are you doing you're out here? Them. And the reason why I said this is I said, Vicki, you've been in an apartment for four years and your sign says you're homeless. You know, there's no integrity in that, right? Wow. And I know in that area, she can make 500 to to $1,000 a day, Yeah, right? Now she could do that, And do that for one or two days a week, or she could go work at McDonald's and come home smelling like french fries and grease and work horrible hours, right? And not make enough money. That's a job that she chooses. Yeah, gotcha. Right? But I've also met so many people panhandling that have said the words, I wish people would stop giving me money. Mm. I'm out here because I'm an addict. I'm a fiend. Mm -hmm. And this is the only thing I know how to do. And I wish people would stop giving me money because all I know how to do with it is hurt myself. I was under a bridge a couple of weeks ago and I met a guy and I was looking around. There's so many empty cans everywhere, tons of trash from churches that feed him and right. tons of stuff, which is great. But if he would go to a place where there was food, where he could get recovery, that would be so much better. Anyway, I look around and I see all these beer cans and I said, how much beer do you drink a day? Right. And he said, well, I drink about 740s seven 40 ounce beer so you do the math yeah, you know there's no math a, classes at dts a lot of alcohol so i've got my calculator out <laughs> right that's 280 ounces of beer you divide that up that's more than two gallons a day wow i couldn't drink two gallons a day of anything <laughs> right i'd be having to wear diapers all day long well how do you get this of course panhandling mm-hmm. why do you drink it because i hate myself and i hate my life mm. right Do you really think that guy's going to go get into a motel today, and do you really think a motel is really going to meet his needs? You really think that guy's going to go to McDonald's today, or even if you give him a McDonald's gift card, do you really think McDonald's meets the needs of a person in that desperate condition? Imagine you drive by and you see someone with a bullet wound, Mm. right? Right. They have a wound. It's physical. It's obvious, right? They're bleeding out. You would not give them a McDonald's gift card or $10 bill or a bag full of goodies, nor would you give them a sandwich. He needs professional care. Right. And as much as we can, these individuals need to go and be connected with professional, full-time services. And so
2: to that end, I recall you actually hand out to uh, you know, well meaning people, well-meaning Christians and police officers and 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 others little little uh, I want to say menus, as it were, or a little booklet. So
1: this is this is you it got, right you here. Got one there, right? Yeah. I brought one um, because I figured you'd ask about it. So we made this a few years ago in Dallas as the official directory for homeless services. It's printed with a special process, so if it gets wet, the ink won't stick. That's and great. The pages won't stick. The ink won't run. Um, it's made to fit in a pocket, right? Mm-hmm. And it lists where can I eat today, where are the shelters, where can I go if my girlfriend's pregnant, where can I go if I need an ID. There's maps inside. We did a lot of um, uh, review with the homeless community and focus groups to figure out what fonts to use, what colors to use, what's easier to read for people that are older. We update this data and reprint this thing about every quarter now. It does have a message of the gospel because we think Jesus is pretty cool and most important. And police officers carry this in their car. Dart bus drivers use this right. in Dallas. That's our transit system. And, um, you know, the shelters use this. The hospitals use this. Um, you know, we go through about 400 of these a week. Wow. This is what you give someone who has need to connect them with those important agencies. It. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And those agencies, in in fact, not only want to love them well, even the secular ones, yeah. and help them get off the street. But if they want to look holistically at a person's need, this is what you give to somebody. Give them this. Give them a bottle of water. Give them a granola bar. But I'll also tell you, a few years ago, we invented, uh, we invented, we created an app, right? Yeah. Version of this, we launched it a few years I ago, that. and the app is really kind of blown up. So we built this little app to point people to the closest shelter, domestic violence center, rehab, detox, and place to eat in Dallas. Well, the problem with the apps on the app store is you can download them from anywhere. So people are downloading this app around the country, seeing this list of resources in Dallas, so and we, we don't, don't want them, them to come to Dallas, Dallas right? right? So we ended up building a nationwide directory. That's fantastic. It's got over 100,000 resources in it. What's the name of the app? Our Calling. Just go to the app store and search for Our Calling. And it is the um, most comprehensive list of homeless service providers nationwide. And so it's now being used all over the country, every state in the country. Um, It's being used a ton in the big cities like LA and New York and even in Hawaii where they've got a homeless crisis. um, and you can open it up anywhere and find the closest shelter, find the closest domestic violence center. That's great. And in Dallas, we also use it for reporting. So if you see a tent in the woods or even a panhandler with the app, you can report you can that to us. Ping it in. And, and then, then our search and rescue teams will go visit that location. That's right. Great. So So we're using your eyes to help us with street outreach. Yeah. And so we built this app. And it's funny because we really built it for volunteers and you know, people that want to help the homeless. But in Dallas, over 70% of our homeless friends have phones. Right, In some places, the percentage is even much higher. So the, the homeless themselves are using Oh, yeah. So the phones moved to much higher up on the hierarchy of needs, That's right? That's great. And so not only are you able to report a tent in the woods, we have homeless people taking a selfie saying, I'm here. I need help. Come help me now. What can I do? That's I was great. looking through the data recently with some of our staff, and a, a, about two weeks ago, a woman submitted a picture of a sonogram. She had it on her phone, and she submitted a picture of a sonogram, and she said, I'm homeless, I'm pregnant, I'm due in a few weeks, and I don't know where to go. What can Mm, I do? What can I do? Right? So this app gives us an opportunity to reach out to her and love on her well, and connect her with all the service providers she needs, but ultimately, the connection is not just horizontal. For us, the connection is vertical. vertical. We want to connect them to the Lord. Well, I'm glad you used that word connection, because that segues
2: perfectly into what I wanted to... Ask, uh, ask you about and bring up, um, you've mentioned how the, the homeless, really it's, it's a disconnected population, uh, disconnected spiritually, disconnected from the resources it would help, and you're trying to connect the person to their God uh, and into a vital living, ongoing, uh, transformational relationship with God through discipleship. And then connect with the resources that help them do that and help them become, hopefully, people with uh, places to live again and and uh, meaningful income and so forth. But there's still another level of disconnection, and that is many, many, many people like me, white upper middle class, you know, educated, and many of our listeners are going to fit that category. Um. We. We're disconnected from homeless people. It's very, very easy to drive by, to roll up the window, to uh, change the channel, to, you know, however I sort of zap them away, I, I don't want to connect in a way, which in itself has a certain soul pro- poverty attached to it oftentimes. At, here at the seminary, we, we have a program that our calling is a part of called the Agape. Uh, program in which we're trying to help connect uh, students as they're going through their uh, training to be connected and to be aware of what's, what's out there by way of need in communities. And so they can get course credit for doing uh, projects and volunteer work in a place like Our Calling, and, and Our Calling, I think, if I understand it correctly, is one of the, one of the groups that uh, our students access quite a bit. Tell us about how that's worked out.
1: So it's funny that you say this because years ago when I was on staff here at DTS, I was on a committee that – and I got to watch in the, from the corner uh, this whole get project get birthed. Right. And it's not a project that, re, you know, suggests that students go play with poor people, right? right? It is a project that's designed – it requires students to be involved in broken people's lives. Mm. Right? It's easy to do anything in life, it doesn't matter if you're a businessman or a stay-at-home mom, and, or you just attend a church on Sundays, to really ignore broken people, even more broken than you are, and to really just focus on one particular group of folks. So maybe you're serving broken people that are North Dallas, right, right. You know, upper right. middle class, but even be exposed to different brokenness in the community. Hmm. And so we have students that come in and that are not only required, but you have professors that'll say, look, I'm, I'll trade you. I'll trade you a grade on this assignment, right? You write this big paper or do this exegetical or do something, you know, textual criticism. I'll trade you this grade of doing this big paper assignment to go spend some time with someone and listen to them and get to know them and pray with them. And then write me a page about your experience. That's great. Right, so I remember years ago, I was taking soteriology and sanctification classes and trying to figure out how to teach this to homeless folks. I remember one time buying the VHS set right, of uh, Bible study methods, your, your, your dad's yeah. stuff. Um, and I was taking, I was at a church uh, using one of their classrooms, and I'm, we're watching these videos of your dad learning Bible study methods with a guy who's a heroin addict, a guy who's a crack addict, <laughs> the guy's an alcoholic, you know. right? Um, learning how to be actively involved in people's lives. And it's not just an assignment for students. You know, one of the things I tell volunteers and people that want to come down you're not coming here because you're serving us and serving the homeless community. You're coming here because you were created to be actively involved in people's lives. This happens to be a community that is very needy. The Lord may be calling you to serve a different community, but we're here because of our obedience to the Lord mm-hmm. is not an option, right? Right. And it doesn't matter if it's your neighbor next door or the nursing home down the street, or a homeless person, or a coworker who's really struggling. Right. We're we're created to be actively involved in broken people's lives, and we have this opportunity for students to come and get exposed. To poverty, get exposed to what we're doing, and invite them to participate. And it's fun because we've we've hired a lot of students uh, on our team, and we've got uh, a fun fun staff uh, folks that that serve all over this community. And it's growing. We've got positions even open now, but it's a um, it's fun to see the exposure of individuals that wouldn't normally be sitting next to someone who are, is homeless. How quickly they recognize how much they really have in common.
2: Mm. Yeah, we've just got to. About three or four minutes left. Um, as I reflected theologically on this theme, um, interestingly, the a song came into my mind that uh, used to sing as a kid uh, a lot. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And I thought there is a sense in which you know all of us as believers or we at least can identify with the homeless. That, that at least this is not our home. We have a home here temporarily, but as Peter says we're sojourners. Um, And so to that extent, I mean, there's some ability for us to realize we're not yet home. We're still on the way. Uh, I guess the folks that you're working with would experience that in a much more pronounced way.
1: Well, one of the things we like to say is um, the homeless community doesn't have Um, the capacity to hide how they're feeling on the inside. Mm. In in fact, what you see on the outside is often a representation of their emotional and spiritual condition, right? You Mm -hmm. can see on the outside the way they feel on the inside. So three days ago, true story, I'm at a hospice center, and I'm with a dear friend I've known for almost 15 years. This woman has over 20 convictions for prostitution. Her life has just had been a, ring, mess. a mess, right? And I'm there with her, watching her, and I'm reading the book of Psalms to her, and I'm there with her when she takes her last breath. She's a homeless woman I've known for years. I had no concern if I gave her enough sandwiches. I had no concern if she got into a physical home, which she did on and off. She'd get in and get out. I had no concern if she got enough T-shirts or had enough places to take a shower. My greatest concern was her spiritual home, Mm, like you said. Does she know the Lord? And in that moment, was she prepared to meet him? Mm -hmm. That's our priority. That has to be the focus. That has to be what drives us to get up in the morning with anybody in our context. With us, it happens to be homeless people, Uh, people that are out and struggling and need more than just a place to live. These folks that are experiencing this mess called homelessness, they need the Lord, and they need the hope that's only found in Jesus, you know, only the, Jesus Christ can solve what's wrong in their heart, yeah. and that can start to heal the rest of their life.
2: And I would just point out, I mean, this is a problem in global cities worldwide. This is a problem in rural small towns throughout the United States as okay. well. Every town has a, homelessness. Yeah.
1: It's it's every downtown. Even Mayberry had Otis, right? Had a <laughs> right. drunk downtown. Right. You know, so every it's it's worldwide. Poverty is a unique community. Poverty culture is unique to try to get into and serve. Learning how to serve them contextually is just as challenging as learning how to, you know, speak a foreign language or translate right. the Bible into an unwritten tongue. And but it's a community that is, is universal. In desperate need of the body of Christ, not to just be involved in social justice, but to be involved in the gospel, because one of the things we often say is social justice without the gospel is no justice at all. Yeah. Well, and God has planted,
2: you know, His church and His people everywhere, and He's done that precisely so that we would make that connection, so that we could connect people to
1: Him and uh, and be part of. His body. Unfortunately, in most cities, if each church would adopt one homeless problem person, set. there would be no more homeless people on the street, yeah. right? Wayne, I want to thank you for being with us on the table
2: podcast today. God bless you and and your work. And uh, if you have a topic that you would like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at the table at For Bill Hendricks, uh, I'm with the table podcast. Thank you for being with us today.